0: Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. Ben Brown is back. We are going to review all of the divisional round action for great games to go over, plus some insights on what to expect in the championship games and maybe some contrarian takes for you. Let's get to it. Alrighty, everyone, we are back. Ben is bra- is back. Ben is um, he's not I R, but he is uh, COVID. He is he <laughs> had some some COVID issues here. So uh, the question is, before this pod though, he did not report symptoms, so he could still go on here like NFL players. As we see that no one has COVID anymore now that the playoffs have started, so that's been very convenient.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, I'm the only one that basically has tested positive for covid. Cause I'm the only one that has uh tested positive based in the last 2 weeks uh unfortunately but we are keeping it uh under wraps like the nfl players are as well so uh still got you know everything else happening like you know everything else nothing's nobody's really skipped a beat in in the brown household i would say uh based on the covid situation so we're playing it just like the nfl would uh tight to the vest here as we head into the conference championship yeah yeah.
0: i mean we had a little thing where my i have two two sons uh nine and six the oldest one tested positive as part of school testing never had any symptoms None of us ever tested positive on rapid tests. None of us had symptoms, but we're around this dude constantly. So I don't know. Who who, who knows what happened here, but we are marching on. And, you know, not to get too, too much into the COVID situation, but. A lot, a lot of complaining going on out there about the fact that these guys are playing and we have uh, Mahomes vis a vis Allen with full rosters out there. So maybe the NFL uh, did the right thing here. Right. Okay. So let's review the four games here, four close games. I'm going to be a little bit of a hater here on some of the games that I think were getting hyped up a little too much because they had last second field goals. It kind of reminded me a bit of like how the tournament is so, excuse me, how the tournament is so good COVID. for, uh, for college
1: basketball march madness yeah, like... <laughs> basically yeah people love march madness right so uh...
0: yeah it's like march madness where you have a game where 98 percent of it is pretty garbage play but then there's a last second shot that ends up mattering like some of that was true of these NFL matchups, but we'll get into the exact thing here. So do we want to start with chronological order, or do we want to go into Chiefs-Bills and what happened just last night? I'm going to let you decide, Ben.
1: I kind of want to go chronological order because I do agree with you. I mean, I think everyone said this was like the best NFL uh, weekend that we've basically ever had. And I do think that Bills-Chiefs might have been, uh, you know, one of the best games I've ever watched personally. But outside of that, I mean, Bucks-Rams was okay thankfully cuz the you know the rams basically left the back door wide open for the buccaneers to take advantage of but outside of that i mean uh, the two games on saturday were kind of uh, i don't know not necessarily uh, all that i mean Obviously they came down to the wire, but outside of that, it wasn't really all that appealing, uh, from, you know, my perspective in a lot of ways. So I don't know. I, I think we start chronological order. I think we gotta go Bengals Titans here to start because I do think there is uh, you know, a lot of hot take season happening uh in the conference championship round as we head into that matchup. And I don't I don't know if I necessarily uh buy into the hype still uh, in a lot of ways for this Bengals, especially based on this performance that they had on Saturday. So
0: yeah, yeah, let's, we could talk a bit about that. Again, this this could be uh, a little bit of a rough listen for, for Bengals fans. So, uh, again, congratulations. This is kind of like what happened uh, mid-season through here. Congratulations on making it there. You've done great. Um, but, you know, Joe Burrow starts talking about, hey, we're not a Cinderella team. I'm tired of the underdog narrative. Well, you know, guess what? That uh, that narrative is not going away this week. As we look at the Bengals being a full touchdown underdog here, about a 25% win probability. I'll go into a little bit more of that after we review what happened in the game. So let's talk uh, Bengals-Titans. So the Titans were four-point favorites as the home team, as the team coming off the bye, as the number one seed, although a weak number one seed. The final score, 19-16 Bengals. My adjusted score, and well, this is when it's going to start the Bengals pylon here. My adjusted score was 24-17 Titans. Now, I think that's a little bit too wide of a margin, and I'll explain why. But what goes into this? Again, success rate more important than the play-by-play EPA per play to try to lessen some of the outlier plays. We're going to try to downweight special teams. We're going to also try to downweight as part of that Um, third-down conversions to a degree because, you know, on a game-by-game basis, how often you're converting on third-down and fourth-down can go up and down quite a bit, but it it moves around a lot. And then also try to make adjustments for turnovers that are not turnover-worthy plays according to our numbers um, and vice versa. If you have a lot of turnover-worthy plays that don't end up being turnovers, that gets thrown in there. I mean, there are other adjustments, but that's the main, main factor there. So up front, Titans, did this feel like the Titans were a better team to you in this game or do my numbers seem completely off? I mean,
1: I don't necessarily think they were like a clear better team. I do think they probably had uh, a much better case of actually winning this game than what uh, the Bengals did in a lot of ways. But, you know, obviously the turnovers with Ryan Tannehill played a significant role. I do think there were some, you know desire to consistently pound derrick henry uh into the front of the line of scrimmage as well obviously uh you know i thought uh aj brown and julio jones uh, were going to be somewhat effective i do think that they actually were so uh if they would have stuck with that particular game plan uh, i don't think there's any reason why they should have lost here but i don't know at least from my perspective uh the Bengals. this was this was a really concerning performance i would say that if they play uh like they did here on saturday uh, against the kansas city chiefs this next sunday in the conference championship round they're going to lose by 40 points right this was one of Joe Burrow's not necessarily his worst uh passing performance but uh I mean it was all yards after the catch right I think he had really what was like 33 percent uh 32 percent of his yards came through the air Uh, it was a lot of Jamar Chase basically behind the line of scrimmage in a lot of situations they had eight explosive pass plays zero uh deep pass attempts so uh nothing downfield right I do think it was Uh, Kind of unsustainable in a lot of ways, and then of course, uh, what everyone is basically going to be talking about uh, here—the nine sacks, right? And I do think you know people want to say, "Oh, you know, Joe Burrow exceeded despite these nine sacks sort of situations." But that's kind of been the one main knock on him all season, right? It's been the fact that he consistently takes these sacks under pressure. Obviously, not all of them were his fault, but uh, there are obviously certain scenarios where uh, he definitely. Is the reason and the cause uh, of these sacks happening so much? And I do think that there's a lot of negative uh, taken away from this game. So the fact that people are, you know, heavily buying into the Bengals as, uh, you know, this team that can potentially win in Kansas City, I'm just not seeing it right now, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had they, they've had
0: a pretty good run right. here as far as if you're gonna if you're gonna rank order the team by a power ranking type of metric. Coming into the playoffs, maybe the Steelers would have been the worst, but then the Raiders probably would have been next. And then Tennessee and Cincinnati would have been similarly worse than the other AFC teams that that, that were going to play in this. The Patriots would have been higher. And of course, the Bills and the Chiefs would have been would have been higher. So they've had the, the best possible seating and bracket type of run that you can get here in both of these games. I've had the adjusted score about equal against the Raiders and now leaning towards Tennessee. And maybe just to explore that a little bit further, just to give some some context to people. Again, success rate's a big thing here. So 46% success rate for the Titans versus 37 for the Bengals, which is, you know, to, to put that into a, a scale maybe is a little bit more you can understand, it's like a 60th percentile type of outcome for the Titans and below 20th for the Bengals. So so what what moved this in that direction? Well, the Titans were just awful on third down. Again, Third downs matter. Third downs are decide whether you win or lose. But on a game by game basis, it's harder to pin, you know, all the credit on the defense, let's say, in these circumstances, because some of this is randomness. I mean, the Titans were one for eight on third down over one on fourth down where the Bengals were seven for 15 on third down. So the Bengals were getting into third downs over and over and over and over again. They were just able to convert some of them where the Titans were not. And the Titans converted a third and a third and three but they failed on fourth and one third and one third and five third and seven third and nine third and nine third and ten third and eleven they could they just needed you know one of those to kind of get over the hump but they couldn't get anything going in that direction and you know that's going to turn around in most cases
1: right definitely I mean obviously it's you know unsustainable uh to consistently get off the field on third down like that I do think we saw a little bit of that play out uh, on the other side conversely with you know that Bill's Chiefs game but uh, I agree with you I mean obviously uh the turnovers are significant thing but outside of that third down efficiency and that's really the only thing uh separating these two teams basically only three points right so uh and there was and there was still a number of ways uh for the Bengals to still lose even given all of the ways that uh the game basically broke correctly for them in so many ways so I don't know I mean obviously it's been this nice Cinderella run for them but uh maybe I'm just a hater maybe that maybe you're bringing that out of me uh, as much as possible but I just don't (laughs) see I, yeah, just I, see, yeah, I, I just don't see, yeah, I just don't see this one uh, ending well for the Bengals on Sunday, unfortunately. And I think mainly uh, they played at their ceiling in Week 17 against the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, got a couple breaks uh as well with uh you know long drop with Tyreek Hill toward the end of the first half uh, in that particular matchup against Kansas City, but uh some other things definitely broke their way as well as far as penalty situations. So if that doesn't happen and they don't play uh basically as well as possible, uh I think it's gonna be a long day on Sunday. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the, and the one thing, that I say the biggest factor we're talking about, we look this really from a numbers type of perspective that ends up getting overlooked, and it's overlooked in a lot of things. In fact, I just replied to a uh, fellow P.O. Pfeffer, uh, Mike Renner, when he was putting up fourth-quarter stats for Joe Burrow in these playoff games and against the Chiefs. Well, conveniently left out of those fourth-quarter stats right. are sacks. So. <laughs> You mentioned the nine sacks that Burrow took there. The, in those fourth quarters, there were four sacks for 40-something yards, including killing multiple drives on on third down. So sacks matter. If you look at the expected points lost for Burrow in his nine sacks in this game versus Tannehill's three interceptions, and these were costly interceptions for Tannehill. I mean, we're talking about first and 10 interceptions, others that could have been conversions. There was more. Uh, Burrow lost more value if you want to put it on burrow of course it's burrow in the offensive line it's other people too but burrow lost more value on his sacks than tannehill did on his interceptions but most people would not be thinking that at all they'd be looking at awful plays by tannehill only one of those we rated as a turnover worthy play you might want to question some of those whether those others should be or not so i think that's really something that that needs to be factored in and coaching is probably another big advantage that they got on this one. So I want to, I think you should feel vindicated now for your Zach Taylor over Vrabel type of coach of the year takes, because in this one, I don't think Taylor had a lot of opportunity to prove his value here. Um, As far as making the right fourth down calls, they only lost less than half a percent of win probability, according to my numbers on fourth down calls, but Vrabel lost a whopping 7%, including A fourth and four, 16 yards away from the end zone, down by 10 in the end of the third quarter. He kicks the field goal there. That was over three win probability just right there in that one call so not a great game for Vrabel because there were other fourth downs also obviously that that ended up getting that all the way up to seven percent loss yeah definitely there Vrabel. was this
1: idea of like Mike Vrabel kind of being this quasi sharp uh you know coaching guy at least from a fourth down decision making perspective and maybe you know maybe some in-game management things as well and I do think that that uh definitely is put to rest here uh, based on the fact that there was just you know it seems like he is obviously overly aggressive in certain spots where they definitely think that they they are going to be playing from behind but I also think he gets way too conservative uh, in these particular matchups when they are favored when they are expected to win uh especially at home so i don't know i don't think he should be flipping uh to both extremes based on uh who they're playing in a lot of ways because obviously this is going to be the end result right if you do get too conservative even at home as a a decent size uh favorite uh you still apt to lose to a good playoff team if you're not capable of actually you know putting some of those Field goal drives, turning those into actual touchdowns by being more aggressive on fourth down decision making. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that that call in particular, the fourth and four, 16 yards away from the end zone, I could understand how people say, well, you're down by 10, you get the field goal, and now you're within one score. But again, it's playing with this mentality of A, the other team's.
1: Right. Guaranteed stop, basically, right? I mean, that's just.
0: Right, yeah, and and they're starting right. with the ball. So they're going to have on average more possessions than you're going to have going forward. A, that's and B, it's this overtime type of mentality also where yeah, if you get the field goal, you could get a touchdown, but even in the best case scenario there when you play things out, yeah, you could win, but you're you're introducing many more um Scenarios, many more permutations on what's going to happen where you're going to overtime as opposed to being able to win in regulation. If you're going to leave that full touchdown that you need, you score the touchdown there. Yeah, you still need another another score in that circumstance. You still need a field goal, but you could get another touchdown and then win the game in that circumstance, too. So it's those two things that are being skewed there. I think people look too often at a full quarter is left in this game. So therefore, we're not in some sort of desperation mode. But the reality is when you start looking at win probabilities and things like that, you're getting very, very close to desperation mode being down by a full touchdown and not having the ball with even a full quarter to go, it's much closer to that to that measure than you think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, state.
1: it's it's exactly what, you know how the math plays out in a lot of spots, and it is uh, you know a no. There's no guarantee of getting uh, that that stop that everyone just thinks is as easy as possible, right? And then and then even if you get that, uh, it's still looking like almost a fifty fifty coin flip at best. Uh, once you get into the play, uh, once you get into the overtime uh, spot, if you do actually come through and actually get that touchdown in the second and the second drive so yeah it's 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 just you see and we continue to see it every single week right that's the thing that continues to baffle my mind is the fact that uh continuously now even when people are harping on it constantly uh the coaches are continuing to kind of make these conservative options uh like th- the standard basically for how we're seeing some of these in-game decision making And it is it is frustrating because we continuously rehash it but uh apparently we have to because maybe we're the only ones listening i'm not quite sure so
0: well, not not, well, not the only ones, but some. The only the only, only, only non decision makers. We we, maybe, we, we right? didn't we didn't get, yeah, we we didn't get some of those guys. Luckily for these coaches, having you know Patrick Mahomes is or having uh Joe Burrow or having one of these guys is sometimes more valuable, a little slightly more valuable than a, than a You'd few like to think down so. decisions. I mean, the one last thing to mention here, and it's not the biggest factor. We can't really fault the Titans for wanting Derrick Henry to come back and to to give him the ball, but you know 20 carries for Henry, uh very negative as far as his efficiency and EPA per play, 3.1 yards per carry. Um Dante Foreman had a few big plays, but he only had four carries to Henry's 20. So they really leaned on Henry here. I don't know if the foot was bothering or not. I know it's a very difficult injury to come back from that that soon. Uh somewhat luck and fortuitous that Foreman broke off some big runs, but you know, he had 16 and a half yards per carry versus three yards per carry. So maybe they could have leaned a little bit more in that direction, but I think that's probably more bad luck than anything else. Okay, so let's look let's we can look ahead slightly on this one. Only in terms of the Bengals, as I mentioned earlier, they're about a 25% win probability. And again, that's a big underdog. So if you look at what the uh Eagles were going into Tampa Bay, their win probability based upon the um based upon the money line going into that game was somewhat similar. I mean, you could say that the Bengals are between twenty five and twenty eight depending upon how you want to think the juice goes there, whereas the Eagles were maybe between twenty two and twenty five so not that far off from each other. So that's a big, big underdog. But it still means you win one out of four times, which right. happens, right? So we're talking about if you had a coin flip saying, I'm going to flip, uh, you know, if you flip it right a couple of times in a row, that's basically all you need to get that sort of win probability. Not that hard to do. So very realistic chance they win. At the same time, this is a significant underdog for two teams that we're saying are the best two teams in the AFC theoretically, going into the Yeah, AFC definitely. I mean, we've seen the
1: line basically moved out a little bit. I do think it was that, you know, six on the look ahead, out to seven, basically, opened at six and a half, basically, after that match at Kansas City. So. so could that be an overreaction? Could that be an overreaction to the Chiefs
0: bills dramatic uh you know you give Patrick Mahomes 13 seconds and he scores
1: yeah I mean I think so I honestly think the more extreme uh direction for this particular mark or particular game is the total right I think that was at like 49 and a half that moved out four points up to 53 and a half uh the 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 Bengals still play at one of the slowest paces in the NFL. Obviously, weren't very effective uh, passing the football either. So I do think if you're leaning in any direction, I'd probably be leaning toward the under 53.5 now as uh, the spot that I would definitely be uh, locking in early on in the week. Because yeah. I don't know, I just don't. I, I I have a difficult time seeing the Bengals keep pace, but uh, the Chiefs weren't, you know, necessarily uh, all that. All that impressive, at least from, you know, chunk plays in the passing game, uh, outside of the two minute warning basically against the Buffalo Bills either. So yeah. I don't know. I think this I think it's gonna be an under game here. We'll see how that actually plays out. Yeah, but, you know, I, I like that under
0: call and I think you're also locking in at this point, you're locking in the potential for some sort of adverse weather outcome that you may not be able to to predict at this point to time too. So, okay. let, Let, before we go on to the late game, the Niners and the Packers, the late game on Saturday, First I want to let you know you can get 25% off any subscription use promo code unexpected you get all of PFF's locked article content betting dashboards green line which is up 27 units so far this season the play, player prop tool which harnesses the shares and projections fantasy projections that we have um, for the player pop uh advantages that you can see there NFL draft guide draft season's coming up free agency season is coming up Plus you support the pod. So all of that is available. And second thing I want to talk about is Western and Southern. If you want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday night football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate Football's favorite Sunday will cover your catering up to twenty five hundred dollars, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February thirteenth. Don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at Southern dot com slash feast. One more time, that's Southern dot com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, let's get into the late game now. This is really some bad performances here. Yeah, there are weather concerns, everything else here. But 5.5 point spread here towards the Packers. Ends up 13-10 to 10 San Francisco. My adjusted numbers. So for the second game in a row, the loser has the better adjusted score, 15-12. So not exactly a shootout by the adjusted score numbers. But this was a disaster, obviously, on special teams for the Packers. They had the, blo- the, the, the punt block touchdown, the blocked field goal. And then the other thing that's huge in these numbers is the Mercedes Lewis fumble, which was on first and 10, which is a really, really bad time to have a fumble, which was about a six point EPA loss uh, near midfield on that first and 10 play. So all of those wrapped into one. Really swings it towards the Packers. Should have
1: won this game, despite the fact that neither quarterback or offense was good in this game at all. Right, not not whatsoever. Obviously, there was some you know weather concern or weather impact, basically, especially in the second half of this matchup. But uh, this was you know football guy's wet dream, basically, right? Quarterbacks didn't necessarily matter whatsoever. Defense, special teams, all these sorts of things. Maybe that's the reason why uh, everyone all phases thought of the game. Yeah, maybe all everyone. Maybe maybe, maybe that's why everyone thought the football weekend was so good because we got the football guy's dream. We got the analytics guy's dream on Sunday night. Maybe that's the reason why. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's really hard for me to take away the fact that I don't think the best team won in this particular matchup for a number of different reasons. Obviously, like you said, uh, you know, special teams, uh, turnover, those sorts of things. Even though Jimmy Garoppolo did have a uh, pretty bad interception as well, but oh, yeah. I don't know, it was it was so that was that was on him for yeah, sure. That's the, not bad. I'm not putting bad luck on that one. <laughs> it was this was it was weird to me how uh, like efficient and good uh, the Packers' offense looked on that opening drive, scoring a touchdown, oh, yeah. and then basically like. You know fell apart at the end obviously You know defensively uh, the 49ers Made some tweaks and things didn't necessarily allow uh, You know some free 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 uh, free releases basically By the wide receivers after that particular possession But uh, it was obviously a pretty Dramatic shift in their defensive Scheme which obviously helped quite a bit that's, you know, maybe encouraging to see, but uh, I just don't see uh, this 49ers team really putting up a fight against uh, the Los Angeles Rams here next weekend either. I don't know. It's, oh, it's, we're
0: already, we're already we're getting already, into that. You gotta,
1: okay, first things first. Yeah, first let them in. First. Let them in. Sorry, sorry, let's yeah.
0: review here before we start burying right, all every team. the fan bases, <laughs> all the fan bases of the winning teams here. So, yeah, so, again, you mentioned they marched down the field extremely easily on that first drive, scored the touchdown, but yet we look at these overall numbers in this game. 35% success rate, which is a 10th eh, percentile type of outcome. Uh basically the same, 35% in in run success and 35% in dropback success. And this is Aaron Rodgers, they leaned on Aaron Rodgers much more. He had a 63% uh pass rate versus 44% for the 49ers. So they leaned on him, on him much more and was actually slightly over expectation even without the weather being factored into there, but Rodgers was not able to do anything, and this includes his pressure rate was decent at 40%, but there wasn't a lot of fast pressure there. The blitzes were really down, so it was one of those things where we got a little bit of old Rodgers where it looked like he did not trust what he was seeing. He was not necessarily going through the progressions in the same sort of way. There's a lot of clutching. There's a lot of moving around. There's a lot of waiting to see what was going to happen, and the 49ers just sat back and were able to contain what they were doing offensively. So after the game... There was an argument, and they're showing that Devontae Adams' throw into double coverage got played ad nauseum because Alan Lazard was coming open over the middle on their last drive, Um, as if that was some typified type of play that showed why Rodgers is having success. I mean, I think it's kind of the opposite. I think it's like Rodgers gets into these modes where he doesn't trust what he's seeing, but when he doesn't trust what he's seeing, he doesn't normally throw it up into double coverage, which... You can see from his his numbers. I mean, his four interceptions during the year. He had no interceptions since week 10, I think. He barely had any turnover plays since week 10. Uh, he doesn't turn the ball over that much, but normally what he does is he just gets conservative and doesn't want to have a turnover. And that's what was playing out for most of the game up until that point. I think that was a problem with Rogers is he looked on the other side of the ball. He said, these guys can't move it at all. I'm going to be very, very conservative. But in the end, it comes back to bite you because one unexpected, unexpected thing happens in a close game like that, like that punt block. And all of a sudden, you're losing a game that you should have definitely won in this in this circumstance. Yeah, definitely. It
1: didn't take into account the calculation that uh, maybe somebody outside of Jimmy Garoppolo could potentially score in that matchup. Obviously, it was, you know, the 49ers <laughs> punt block. But, uh, yeah, I do think, you know, going back to it, I think the weather as well obviously adds this element... For underdogs specifically, I know everyone wanted to talk about the trends kind of heading into this matchup. You know, Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers' performance in cold-weather games, Jimmy Garoppolo's performance in those cold-weather games as well. But the only thing that weather really does is it compresses or heightens the variance that happens in these matchups. And I do think that that variance... Uh, and introducing that uh, to a greater extent definitely plays into the underdog mentality and does play into the underdog's role a lot more. Kind of tightens up a lot of these games, and I think that's kind of the main takeaway uh, for me. I do think you know probably seven out of ten times you play this game, even in that particular environment, Packers emerge victorious. Maybe if it's even you know four fifths something like that. But uh, this the one game happened, uh, and you know the Fortnite is obviously moving on because of it. Unfortunately, you know Aaron Rodgers has to look around, uh, has to watch this game on Sunday night. And I do think that you know maybe seeing that uh, the ship has finally sailed, uh, especially in Green Bay, but maybe on his NFL career uh, as a whole in general. So we'll see what happens. Well, you're him, so.
0: burying Aaron Rodgers, burying everybody, burying everybody,
1: burying everybody. Just like
0: <laughs> take, just like a flamethrower to the entire NFL. Okay, let's. Let, let, I want to talk Jimmy the first second. Okay, here, since we're, you, you know, can we're talk Jimmy. Center. You can talk Jimmy. I'll talk so. Jimmy. Okay. Number one, Jimmy was bad, right? So his his numbers were bad, and this was one of the few circumstances. And normally what ends up being the case um, is that his grading is much worse than his EPA per play. In this case, if you, look, if you plotted him out against a tread line here with a 63 grade versus a negative basically third of a point per play in EPA – He was worse in EPA than he was in grading. And in the first game, it was basically on on the trend line there. So I do think it's a little bit weird that I saw some commentary during this game that, you know, this shows you why EPA per play is a bad stat because look at how bad Jimmy Garoppolo is. I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird time to bring that up. You should be doing that in games where you think he's not playing well, but he has a really good EPA right. per play. I mean, EPA per play says he stunk in this game. In fact, EPA per play says he was probably worse than he actually was because he was under so much pressure at a 50% pressure rate that pocket was getting pushed into his lap constantly during that game. He had drops from his receivers multiple times early on in the game so if anything EPA was underrating him so you know I'm I'm gonna say here this is a bad game for Jimmy Garoppolo there's no other way about it if you want to say Jimmy Garoppolo you should ignore all of his stats that he's had throughout his entire career that say he's good because he had these two bad games well fine if you if you want to do that go ahead and do that but the stats say he was bad too so let's wait for Garoppolo to have a game where you think he wasn't good and his stats look much better than what you think then you could start c- to complain about stat based analysis on Jimmy Garoppolo this was not was the kind of the wrong place to be doing it they're going to need him to play better oh, yeah. going forward and if you look at the numbers and what will be a quasi not home game but at least a neutral field type of game and they are you know you got the hook here three and a half points against against the Rams so they are seen as being a a underdog but you know, the market's still like this Jimmy Garoppolo-led 49ers team, despite the fact that they're going to be on the road here. They like him much more than the Bengals, at least.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't really make sense of it, to be honest with you. I'm not going to be on the 49ers here whatsoever. I mean, he has he has graded whatsoever. pretty well from a Come passing on. perspective. Uh, of course, Week 10, basically, and then, yeah, again, Week 18. Those were, like, uh, basically his only... Uh I guess he had the Falcons game as well where he was definitely above average but outside of that uh, it's been pretty ugly for Jimmy Garoppolo so I don't know. Other people can back him. Uh I am I'm, I'm riding with the Rams here though unfortunately. Uh so we'll see. What side you, what side are you we'll thinking see. for this particular match? I don't you know. Got, I think I think it looks pretty far. I, mean, I like the okay. Rams.
0: I like the Rams and I like uh and I and, and, and I like probably the 49ers a little bit more than than some others. So we shall see. Well we'll we'll get to that. We'll we'll figure it all out there. Okay, let's let's go on. Go ahead and move on to speaking of the Rams, the Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first of the crazy endings of Sunday. Three point favorites were the Buccaneers. The Rams win by three points, thirty to twenty seven, on a last second Matt Gay field goal. And my adjusted numbers, I, I don't know. I might have to throw out some of this because I downweight low win probability situations near the end of the game. So that's like the entire Bucks comeback, right? It's basically, <laughs> it's like I'm excluding that from my numbers because I had it being more like 38 points for the Rams and then closer to 20 for the Bucks. So just a huge, huge difference here um but maybe that's not
1: I don't think it's that I don't don't honestly think it's that far off you kind of fold in like uh you know the 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 fumble basically going over Matthew Stafford's head and everything else basically I mean there were a lot of things that broke really well for the Buccaneers in the fourth quarter to even get them remotely close uh in this particular matchup right so I actually kind of agree with the 38 to 20 uh differential it does seem uh you know fairly accurate based on where we were at heading into the fourth quarter I would say so
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, a little, just to break down some of the numbers that you mentioned, yeah, so you're talking about the fumbles that the Rams had. I believe it was four fumbles. They did not recover any of them. So right. that's bad luck generally. 22 expected points lost on those fumbles. Um, and on the other side, maybe just to diagnose what was going on, Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I get roasted pretty soon, especially the further the Rams go here, for the fact that I said that that Von Miller trade was awful uh, to a a second and a third for half a season of Von Miller because he had 10 pressures on 40 pass rushing snaps. Aaron Donald had another eight pressures. They both had a sack, uh, multiple hits. Brady was lost an expected point per drop back under pressure. He was under siege in this type of game, and it wasn't just Tristan Wirfs missing. It was coming at him from all angles, and he just couldn't do anything. He, right. it, it reminded you a little bit of the famous case that everyone likes to point to of the old Giants teams when they were able to beat – the uh, Patriots, those patron, Patriot juggernaut offenses in the Super Bowl, where they got that interior pressure and really squeezed him in the pocket. And that's what seemed to be happening in this game. The Bucks really just couldn't do anything offensively.
1: Yeah, and they didn't really, like, try and scheme anything, right? And uh, like you said, it was a lot mm-hmm. of, like, the interior pressure, but Von Miller was really successful off the edge as well. There was, like, no help really happening. There was, And I expected, you know, Rob Gronkowski to potentially be chipping a little bit, maybe get another tight end like Cameron Braid as well uh, to help out. And that just didn't happen whatsoever right so the game kind of played out uh, I would say it like a lot of people actually handicapped it right I mean uh, the Buccaneers basically had no answer to alleviate any pressure from uh, Tom Brady and ended up having to be you know Leonard Fournette getting like nine receptions basically underneath nothing was breaking open uh, over the top really for the Buccaneers until kind of maybe a little bit in the fourth quarter but uh, this was uh, kind of how I think everyone projected this game to play out after the and Wirfs injury Uh, happened and it sounded like he wasn't actually going to be able to play and it turned out that he wasn't that uh, you know the pressure was just going to be too much for Tom Brady obviously doesn't have uh, the capability or ability to uh, you know alleviate the pressure like some of these younger quarterbacks do in the NFL so uh, it's it's it was it was it was the reason why the Rams made that trade for Von Miller and I think if you want to get you know the one game satisfaction them getting to the conference championship in the Super Bowl uh, is the reason for why they actually ended up winning that trade long term that's fine it worked out for them right now but uh it still was i do think a pretty significant price to pay for a half a season of von miller yeah 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 but we we can we can
0: rehash all of that stuff now again it's not like paying for von miller makes your team better i'm not arguing you get worse with von miller than you do it's just what what you end up paying for him what i thought was interesting is that with the focus on tristan wirfs there wasn't that much focus on andrew whitworth and maybe that's that was the correct <laughs> analysis there. Right. Maybe Whitworth, who is a quality player and grades well for us. I do think there is something about this Ram scheme that helps the offensive linemen, um, especially a 40 year old offensive lineman there. Because if you look at the pressure rate, Stafford did have decent pressure rate. It was at the 38% pressure rate, but the fast pressures I track that come in 2.5 seconds or less was only 12% versus 26% uh, for when Tom Brady was under pressure and the blitz rate for the Bucks was 40%. So he was bringing pressure. Todd Bowles was bringing pressure against Matthew Stafford. They were just not able to get there quickly. So when they did get there, Stafford was, for the most part, was able to get rid of the ball. I think he only took one sack in this game, or maybe it was two, but he only took three EPA in sacks. so uh, Three EPA lost in sacks, so not too bad of a measure there. What yeah. I want to ask you is, what do you think about the game plan as far as McVay was getting some shit at the end? About conservatism, you know, they ran it back to back times on first and second down. The last two drives of the game, they ended up having to punt and then Akers fumbled it. Akers only picked up, I think, a combined uh, like eight yards on those four rushing attempts there near the end of the game. Um, Do you think they should have passed more? Because they did have a 60 percent pass rate in this game despite being up so much. They were six percent over expectation, but their running success was awful. 20% success rate running the ball, and they were 60%. They were passing the ball all over the gym. But I could kind of understand the lead, maybe a little bit of concern with Matthew Stafford on tournaments. I kind of understand what he did. Our adjusted numbers say it would have been a colossally unlucky loss for McVay. What do you think about that? Because that would have been a narrative, I think, coming out of this if they had lost is that McVeigh turtled a little bit too much near the end of this game or even in the entire second half or maybe even the entire game, not pressing on the pass button a little bit
1: more. Yeah, I would, I would have been fine with, you know, something to Cooper Cup, basically just a little bit more mixed. And I don't think they had to go as run heavy as they obviously. He did obviously Matthew Stafford had right around like what 82 83% adjusted completion percentage? Obviously, you know, can get things underneath with Cooper Cup. Uh, so I do think getting, getting that mixed in at least once or twice. Uh, it's probably, you know, just as just as likely of a turnover as it was to apparently hand the ball off to Cameron Akers, right, because he had the two fumbles as well, so I think he should have mixed it in just a little bit more, but I'm I'm probably leaning and always in the direction of the coach to maybe be just a little bit more aggressive offensively uh, in order to put games away uh, as best as possible, and I just don't think Sean McVay really did that here on, on Sunday, so I can knock him a little bit for it, obviously, uh, things worked out in the end, but you don't really want to have, have to have that, uh, you know, field goal drive at the end of The game in order to win it when you're up basically what 27 to 3 uh, going into the third quarter. So I don't know. I do think uh, going back to maybe the pressure thing a little bit, I do think, you know, Cooper Cup obviously played pretty pretty big role in helping uh, Matthew Stafford kind of alleviate some of those pressure situations. And then conversely, you know, Tom Brady didn't have Chris Godwin. I think that's shown shined through quite a bit that they just didn't have anybody who could separate quickly uh, in, at any, at any stage on the field uh, in order to kind of help Tom Brady out outside of like, you know, L- Leonard Fournette coming out of the backfield. So I think that was kind of the differentiator in the game. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not knocking uh, McVay a whole lot, but I would have liked to see him maybe up the aggression just a little bit here. What's, what's your take yeah. on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't knock him. I mean, even even if that would have been the case, it's like if you win a game where everything that could go wrong, almost, right, <laughs> almost everything right. that could go wrong to get it to a tie game did go wrong. It's not just the fumbles. It's the, you know, very quick touchdown to to Mike Evans over the top of Jalen Ramsey. Like, just how often are you going to give up something like that so quickly? Um so yeah, when everything goes wrong and you still are there in the end and a chance to win, it's, it's kind of hard to to bang on them. Although those last couple of drives, I think on first down or second down, one pass there, right? right? Just one pass to get that first down rather than going starting run, run, putting your quarterback in a poor place in third down. Because if you're trying to avoid a turnover, which of course you didn't do with the fumble anyway that ended up happening. But if you're trying to avoid a turnover, starting run, run, and then putting your quarterback in third down to pass the ball probably isn't the most efficient way to right. do that also right exactly. um, you obviously want to like avoid that.
1: third and long especially with Matthew Stafford especially given his history of you know having a lot of those turnoverly plays in those particular positions so I agree with you I mean you cannot uh you know you want to put him in the best position possible especially toward the end of the game in order to not have that interception third and long is just not that scenario that you want to get involved with so all right before we get to the game of
0: the week maybe the game of the century. Let's talk about DraftKings, the provider, the NFL's provider for all of your betting needs. That's right. The official sports book, official sports betting partner of the NFL, DraftKings Sportsbook. Now we're counting down to the Super Bowl 56 and the customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Just bet $5, get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer. You can experience the conference championships with the same game parlay, same game parlays. You should be all over that, my friend. Uh, combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, I have not read this Manscaped ad in advance, so we're, we're going to go on an adventure here. Okay, roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, the timing? I don't know if the... the, the, the It doesn't really doesn't rhyme on that, on that well, one.
1: either. Yeah, I don't know. That is a weird one. Well, for
0: sure. you blew, I guess. But, yeah. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsored at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. <laughs> if your balls aren't ready, you might as well just cancel. You just just put the kibosh on Valentine's Day, right. period. Leave your balls at home. You know, you're not going to need them if they're not ready. Uh, this V-Day It's time to join the 4 million men who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, for our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com. Use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Yeah. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package? Get it? Package with the best tools for the job. The
1: performance package. I didn't even get the package thing.
0: Performance package 4.0. Did you understand that the performance
1: package was meant like package? I did not. I did not. I was not thinking of that particular <laughs> performance package. No. So <laughs>
0: that's that's more clever than I. It's it's kind of like when they're expanding Taysom Hill's package. Right. Right. Uh, the performance package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing you'll need. There's just a thing every guy needs, not just you, every guy in their life to make each and every day a little bit more special. I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Well, I. (laughs) uh, That's the royal I. Uh, It's more. (laughs) Who's with me?
1: I mean, okay. is I'll that wait, is I'll that is, is that suggesting that, like, that I should be buying like my significant other the Manscape Performance Package for Valentine's Day, or is that like just a present to myself for Valentine's Day? No, Am this, is, quite this sure? is this is
0: this is for you. I this believe. for me I mean, personally, unless, unless as, except for for you know, for for our gay uh, listeners, of course. You know that that w- that may be true, but uh, I, I don't think so here. Okay. Um, this is one holiday that men and women can get behind. You know, everyone. Finally, some <laughs> harmony in the world. You know, so much, so much division out there. So much rancor. Everything is going on now. We can all get behind Shave Your Balls Day. Uh, Manscaped created their product for a, created their products for a night just like this, and will make your V Day date say, "Wow, a great set of balls you have there." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's nice.
0: Uh, it's always good to hear that, you know, like a little confidence boost right. going in. Going
1: I've, in, I've uh, never personally gotten that compliment before, but yeah, uh, I haven't either, But maybe
0: you're not displaying them enough. Maybe, maybe I need you're, to you're, get you're,
1: on this Manscaped performance package, and then I could get. Well, uh, may, maybe what's great not fit. written
0: in here is the subtext <laughs> is, before your date says that, you say. Hey, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think of my manscaped balls? Someone, I did you know? this thing. You probably thing. have to prompt that. I don't know. I if mean, you... are someone, is someone coming out and just saying that unprompted? Well, Maybe. this is how
1: know. you probably start the conversation, right? So you're saying, you know, Valentine's Day, that's February 14th. But February 13th is National Shave Your Balls Day. How do you think ah. my look or something like that, right? and that's Maybe you could ask. Maybe for that could be like a right?
0: small talk, small right, talk. Be right. like,
1: well, what did you do yesterday <laughs> for National Shave Your Balls Day? <laughs> And
0: she's like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, you didn't know about it. Don't worry. You'll you'll see you later. You'll find you'll out. Later. You'll
1: find yeah, out. Yeah, you'll find
0: out. So you have them primed. You have them primed <laughs> and ready to deliver that cop of that. Okay, 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. I think arrow like arrow is that like a like a like a arrow I was, right right I think maybe I don't, I don't know I don't know what's going on. okay glad we <laughs> glad we got that taken care of uh, making you know earning our earning our keep over right here uh, as far as manscaped is concerned putting the the effort into those ad reads okay let's get to sorry I didn't have my numbers up here for this game but let's get to Buffalo. At Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs, it says two and a half point favorite here. I don't know. They were anywhere between, I saw me between one and two and a half. Uh, 54 over under. So that was the biggest uh, total for the weekend. Final score, 42 to 36. My adjusted score, 35 and a half, 36 for ish for Kansas City. And then, you know, so let's say 31-32 for Buffalo. So roughly in line with what ended up happening there. A little bit lower, of course, with all those uh, explosive plays at the end that you could not expect. The game of the weekend, Kansas City leaned into the passing attack here, 72%. Passing rate, which is 14% over expectation. I'm surprised the Bills are actually a little bit low here, but I guess Josh Allen and Devin Singletary were being pretty productive on the ground. They were actually better, the Bills, on a per-play basis as far as their efficiency Had a little bit worse uh, success right here. Where do you want to start with this one? Do we want to go close to the end? Do we want to bask in the glory of just how this game went here? Do we want to start nitpicking coaching decisions right off of the bat? Uh, I'm going to let you take it where you want to go, and then I'll jump. I
1: ahead. mean, I would say the on-field product for what the for what the players actually put forth was just like second to none, right? I mean, obviously you can nitpick a little bit, uh, you know, Sean McDermott, specifically some of those fourth down decisions I did say on the PFF watch thon, uh, he basically punted the game away uh, and that turned out maybe not necessarily to be correct at the time, but uh, overall, uh, they did end up losing the game obviously comes some of it comes down to the coin flip situation but i uh i i i want to hear your thoughts i guess on do you think uh the bills basically lost this game because of sean mcdermott's decisions or how do you actually see how where where would you assign uh the pie chart of blame because it's really hard to give it to anybody uh at least that played on the field from my perspective
0: yeah yeah it's it's i I think that's a that's a fair case i mean it's hard to because i think i think we're a little bit focused too focused maybe on a couple of decisions later which were troubling but then let's remember that first drive of the game the Bills went for it on fourth and two near midfield where I think very few teams do that they may have been even on their own 48 I forget where they were exactly but they get the ball first zero zero they're not down they're not in any sort of desperation mode they go for it for fourth and two in midfield they get it all the way down they go for it on the goal line where I think officially it was a fourth and one, but it was more like a fourth and maybe one and a half. Yeah. And they score that time. So let's give them credit there, right? Let's give them credit for, for what they did on that one. But you, you're going to give credit. You got to take a little credit away. And that is the, the two decisions by McDermott, which were a fourth and four punt from their own 49-yard line. It was a net 37 yards there. And then they had a fourth and one punt later from their own 34-yard line. Both times the Chiefs scored a touchdown on the ensuing drive. They only got 27 net yards because of a runback, a 15-yard runback for the Chiefs on that one. Those were killer, killer, killer. Um, And I think think the biggest mistake, though, if you're going to point to one single factor that's almost unambiguous in its Potential impact, which I think would have sealed essentially sealed the game if executed properly and unambiguous, in far as far as could you be thinking about this incorrectly and maybe the odds aren't actually in your favor. And that was at the end of the game, kicking the ball off into the end zone because people are talking about, you know, a squib kick. I don't know how you're going to do it exactly. You do it in a way that you're going to get it inside the 25 yard line. Where it's going to be fielded inside the 25-yard line. I think you can do that pretty easily. And you're going... Those guys are not just going to... like If, if someone picks it up, if, I think Byron Pringle was back there. If he picks it up at the 15-yard line, you squib it in there, let's say. Right down the middle. There seemed to be a, a lane there. to squib it right down the middle. You squib it in there. He picks up at the 15-yard line. Like, he, he could take a knee immediately and you'll, you still lose a second. You still right. lose a second on that if he takes a knee. And you're 10 yards further away. Right. So it's almost like that. That's your scenario. Or he could start running it. Now, your concern is he runs it in all the way for a touchdown. But I think losing yardage or seconds on a in a scenario where literally everything has to go perfectly right for them to get a field goal, even shifting the burden very, very slightly by two seconds could have won you that game.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. And I do think, you know, obviously the squib kick was significant factor or the fact that they didn't do the squib kick right and I I I'm not a professional NFL kicker. I don't think it's that hard to at least squib something, uh to at least get it in that general vicinity, right? Like it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. Even if it's you know drops stops the 25 yard line or something, uh you're not really losing a whole lot from there. Maybe they get maybe they bring the ball out to the 40 and get a pretty decent return. But they still yeah, have or, to or make just pooch it up. Right, just but you pooch you're, it up. Right? Still like, as long to, as
0: you're inside the 25 right. yard line. As long as you're not in the end zone and inside the 25 yard line you get some incremental benefit, right. even if they fair catch it, right. and they and, and they say they're not going to take it out. There's some incremental benefit there, at, at least.
1: Right, and then they compounded that or I would say, by also like playing like a really weak prevent defense on the very next yeah. play, right, and giving them basically 19 yards to to Tyree Kill without even really needing to take any much that much time off the clock, right. That was the that, those are the two confounding issues, and then of course they did hit the you know the deep seam to Travis Kelsey to even get in field goal range, but uh, I think it was the two plays basically before this the non-squib kick uh, and then the really weird prevent defense that i didn't think necessarily had to happen i do think you got at least for something uh obviously you can play like 10 yards off the line of scrimmage but they were like they were like 35 yards back it seemed like uh when they initially started that first play of that particular drive so uh yeah some 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 poor decisions obviously you know leslie frazier needs a little bit of uh you know credit in the pie chart of blame basically as well for kind of coming up with that call i would say so it's it was it was you know not the way that the Bills obviously wanted that game to end, but uh, you know hats off to Patrick Mahomes for what he was able to do with with 13 seconds because I don't think there you know there were too many people I think it was like plus. Two thousand on the uh, on the in game spread for them to actually come back and win that game at that thirteen second threshold, so uh, really low probability outcome, and of course you know the bills are on the wrong side of that on the wrong side of the coin flip unfortunately, and things just did not work out for them here uh this season, but
0: okay. yeah yeah, man, I think what's bad for the McDermott when it comes down to the decisions on the fourth down is just like you had this chance. You pressed your advantage. Like, where would they have been in this game, but they didn't press their advantage that first drive, right? If they didn't have that first touchdown, things would have been even worse with the Chiefs marching up and down the field. So you pressed your advantage. You had a chance to press it a little bit further because, again, in this game, Andy Reid will always give you a little something. Right. Not always, but...
1: Usually always. (laughs) it's
0: always, It's always because the Chiefs offense bends the rules of... When you should go for it on fourth down also, honestly, or bends the percentages, right? right? Like because their conversion probability is so high and this is not just like some overestimation. This is like proven data on what they do on third downs. They're so good at converting the third downs and being able to convert there that when Kansas City, there's one play here, fourth and five at the Buffalo 46 yard line. This was, let's see, fourth quarter, 13 minutes left to go. Kansas City was up by two points at that point, 23 to 23-21, and they punted the ball. Right. 38-yard net, net punt there. I think the Bills actually did not score a touchdown. They, <laughs> they, did, not, they did not. They did not score back. on that ensuing drive. No, they but, did not. But, you know, trust the process, okay? Right. Let, let's talk about the, the process here. That was almost a 5.0 percent win probability flip right there which is one of the biggest ones that you can get outside of an obvious you know fourth and inches from the goal line type of situation it's a big one right because of this offense that you has because you have this offense that on a fourth and five is probably like a 50 50 coin flip most offices are offenses are not like that in this game because of that um it, it, it's a concern and you're like you're always just you're just you're just you know Every time, if you're a Kansas City fan who enjoys analytics and numbers, you just have your fingers crossed that the Andy Reid decision is not going to come back to bite you. This circumstance, it may have a little bit. You know, if they would have scored another touchdown there or another field goal there, um, it, maybe the the Bills would not have been able to even have come back and and for it would have been done in regulation as opposed to going to overtime. But right, right. again, you, you just don't like to see that, so I, I don't want to be too hard, harsh on McDermott, where Reid actually did other things that could have cost them the game too. They were just playing from ahead most of the time there at the end. And I
1: do think we would have roasted Andy Reid if that decision would actually cost them the game. But uh, I think, you know, if if the fourth down naysayers are allowed to uh, evaluate the context of that particular play based on if that, if that fourth down conversion is successful, then we should be able to evaluate it based on if that next drive goes for a touchdown or not. Right. Cause that is the other, right. that's the, that's the other side of the coin where uh, if they don't score a touchdown on that drive, you know, whatever. And I do think that is obviously not what I'm going to do. Uh, but the fact that the chiefs actually scored on both of those fourth down uh, decisions that Sean McDermott made uh, speaks to the fact that they should have absolutely gone for it right because it didn't really matter then uh either way and you kind of you know give up the opportunity to actually keep pace with the Chiefs by punting there so uh disaster what, in my opinion but what, yeah. one other
0: minor thing I want to mention now this is kind of like one of my new um I'm not gonna say pet peeves but it's kind of like a new thing that I really lean on an easy strategy type of stuff that you don't have to to, to blow here is you know, everyone was railing all over the play call that they had, where they did Bell, that. Yeah, the uh, Blake
1: Bell like option thing. Is that what you're talking about there? Or? Yeah, I'm
0: trying to find exactly what the situation was because I want to get the exact thing here. It was uh, third and something,
1: happening. wasn't it? And like
0: it was third and one, yeah, I believe. Yeah, right? Yeah, third and um, one or two, geez. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't find it. Inside the 10-yard
1: line, basically. And, yeah, Blake Bell basically, like, pitched it to Jerry. The
0: point on this one is whatever you want to say about Galaxy braining that play call, I think it's very, very, very important that when you're, like, I don't care about the play call being bad just in a vacuum. I care about the play call being bad on third down and one because it is a situation where if you lose yards – Now, Andy Reid should have just gone for it probably anyway. But if you lose yards, you're taking going for it out of the equation much, much more. So you don't want to run outside toss plays or option plays or anything outside. That's a good fourth down play because you don't care if you lose – if you get stuffed an inch from getting the – converting the fourth down or losing three yards you don't care but on third down you really really care so again that's another situational thing where you got to really think about it I mean I'm not saying you never go outside on those plays because then it be- probably becomes a little bit more predictable but you have to think about that a little bit you got to think about the downside because it takes you out of going for it on fourth down and, it's a little thing but it's something I see a lot out there that people are making mistakes
1: exactly on. and I do think that coaches have like the short yardage play calling sheet right or whatever but they don't have any distinguishing factor between them, whether they should run that on third down or fourth and I do think that's probably like the next step in evaluating in that because... Even, you know, even in like the third and maybe longer, right? Like third and five, third and four. If you're setting yourself up successfully, uh, you should be going for that on fourth down, whether you pick up that third and five, third and four, no matter what, right? And I do think that that understanding of leaning on the running game, inside running game, I know analytics does, you know, gets a bad rap for never wanting to run the football, but those are the exact spots where you absolutely should be rushing the football. uh, And that's the exact spots that are going to put you in the best position to convert on either third or fourth down. Especially if you have some of those plays uh, called and designed and you know ready to go in the right and correct situation. So I, yeah, I agree with yeah, you. I do. I do love the fact that you kind of pointed that out because it is one hundred percent true as far as like what what specific play call you need given the down uh, and what your expectation is on the next down.
0: Yeah, it's just part of the much larger philosophy of think about this in a four down paradigm right rather than in a three down paradigm don't think what gives us the highest chance of conversion here think about what gives us the highest chance of conversion not only in a combination of this play and and potentially the, the, the next play also uh okay so let's maybe talk a little bills maybe we can finish it up here because it's unfortunate obviously for the fact that josh allen had two of the best quarterback performances we've seen period um, these last two weeks. I think he was the highest grade. I think he has the two highest grades, maybe the two highest EPA per play also yeah. in the playoffs so far this year. Um and didn't and didn't end up winning this one. They built this team with free agents. They lost Tredavious White, which was kind of a big loss there, and maybe he would have given him some speed to catch Tyreek Hill on, on that on that long touchdown. So so that's something there. But I feel like they still have a pretty good core going forward. I mean, how do you feel about the bills generally right now. And is there anything you can say, this is what we need to do differently going forward to get over the hump? Or was it just, Hey, sometimes you got to tip your cap and it happens.
1: Yeah. T- sometimes you just have to tip cap and you lost to uh, what is, you know, like a generational quarterback prospect. Thankfully, you have uh, a very similar guy on your team, right? And I do think that uh, you were right there. There were again couple couple decisions, maybe toward the end of the game. Also, the fourth down decisions that uh, there's really, really razor thin margins when you are playing what I would consider the best team in the NFL, and you gave them their absolute best shot. Probably should have won uh, in a lot of in a lot of the simulations if it actually played out. You know, if we could play this out a thousand times or whatever, I do think the Bills end up winning that game uh, the majority of times didn't work out in this particular instance, but I think they're right there again. And the the encouraging thing for me was uh, it's Josh Allen doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't necessarily need like a star receiver, but he's been capable of getting it done with guys, uh, you know, from one game to the next that aren't necessarily there in the following game, right? Like this first matchup against the chiefs, They kind of ran him out the door, and it was the Dawson Knox show, and that was kind of his coming out party. This particular game, it was all Gabriel Davis, right? I mean, uh, Stephon Diggs had seven total yards, seven total receiving yards in this game, and a two point conversion, and like he's supposed to be their number one receiver. So I think it's encouraging the fact that yeah, you need to build around Josh Allen, but he is so good at and capable of elevating the play of those around him that uh, you maybe want to pour some more resources into spots that uh, are you know maybe should be you know not as valuable in a lot of things. But I do think that's going to be the key uh, to actually getting them over the hump and actually beating the Kansas City Chiefs next year. in My opinion.
0: Well, at least at least um, Devin Singletary emerged. So right, we got we don't a running have back. We don't have to get a running worry back in about the first, a day man. one or day two running back pick right. for for the Bills as they did back to back day two running back picks for Singletary and Moss before with limited draft capital. So we don't we don't have to worry about that. Um, yeah, I, I think like you definitively answered the. This weird midseason question of, is this Josh Allen of 2020 or is this Josh Allen of before? I mean, I think it's pretty like ironclad stamp here that this is not the Josh Allen of the first two two, two, uh, years of his career. He's going to be a little bit up and down, but he gives you very much so the Josh Allen of 2020 type of upside here. And I just feel bad because their offense, I feel like everything was coming together. They were getting that running game going. They were using Allen as a runner much more effectively. And I felt like, I feel like sometimes they spam Alan as a runner too much. And you just don't need to be doing that during necessarily the, during the regular season as much. And so it was, everything was coming together and, you know, you just can't get over the hump. But if you think about this, as like, it's almost like losing the Super Bowl right. in a way right. um, when, when it was the best team out there. So uh, I think they're, they're not in an awful cap situation. I think Allen's contract, as far as quarterback contract, the big step ups are coming in future years, whereas they're going to happen a little bit sooner for, uh, for Mahomes and, and the Chiefs here. So in some ways, they're, th- you know, three to five year trajectory for how they may look might be even a little bit better than, than the right. Chiefs as far as how they look and how they're going to be able to rebuild. So, again, not exactly giving you a lot of things to, 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 to love here. Bills fans to say, hey, three years, things will be great. But uh, I think just be confident in the fact that you have a long and probably fruitful uh, series ahead of you. Um, especially with the Patriots. We'll see where they go. We'll see where the Jets are able to go. But you look pretty locked in in the AFC East there, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I do think, going back to just a little bit, I do think the Tredavious White injury specifically mattered for this particular match. But obviously, he had, yeah. you know, heavy heavy lined-up snap percentage against both Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Uh, granted, neither of them had really great games outside of, you know, Tyreek Hill broke that one loose. But I do think that uh, that could have been kind of the key difference in this particular match if they get one more stop basically uh even you know toward the end of the game if they get one play there uh with that 13 seconds left with white on the field uh I do think that that would have mattered quite a bit so even next year I think as they are right now uh still capable of beating this Kansas City Chiefs team in my opinion so
0: yeah I mean they they have like you know there's a lot of focus on Hyde and Poyer who they have on the back end who've been great like tremendous free agent signings. You just rarely see guys that you're able to bring in and make long-term pieces out of veteran players like that. But that's probably the thing I would focus on, is to say on on the back end here, we're gonna have to start bringing in some guys to make sure that those guys are aging out. Those guys are a little bit slower, right? They they're not exactly they're great, great cover guys, but they're not they're not you know four four type of guys on the outside too, outside of White. So that's probably a good area I think for them to concentrate on probably in the off season. And as you mentioned, on the other side with Allen able to really pick his spots and not have to lock in on one receiver. You could say it's a little bit disappointing season for Stephon Diggs, but in a lot of ways it's great that you can have that optionality to to go to other players going forward. So good, good things for the Bills going forward. Obviously great things for Kansas City now. Very much looking forward to next week when the Bengals win and we get roasted uh, constantly. (laughs) Not happening, not happening. (laughs) Anything you want to preview as far as content you're going to put out this week at the old PFF.com. Oh, I
1: know you mentioned it really briefly. Some same game parlay content is going to be coming, of course, for the conference championship round. I got to get back on, you know, the free agency draft grind. I know you do that uh, really well, uh, especially the free agency stuff. So I'm looking forward to some of the plus minus things that you put out uh, as well. Uh, But yeah, I got, you know, got some work Behind the scenes to get in, and I gotta, you know, move on from this COVID situation. So it's gonna be an uh, interesting conference championship week. But uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to all the gambling and the see that we can get yeah, get yeah, out. We there. got we got so. four
0: teams here, four teams here looking forward. Twenty eight teams looking even further forward right. to free agency and draft. And we'll have plenty of content available for you on PFF again. Promo code unexpected for those who are still tuning in at this point. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone later this week.